All right, so let's dispense with this right at the beginning of the episode. Yes, The Rock is in Sukatsi. He's in the episode for approximately 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah. This, so if you, if you remember, uh, which I, I don't understand why you would remember this. I, I didn't even remember this. Uh, WWE SmackDown was a UPN show at this time. And so The Rock appearing on Star Trek Voyager was a crossover, like promotional opportunity okay. between the highest rated show on UPN, which I believe was WWE SmackDown and Star Trek Voyager. Um, also, it worked because <laughs> this episode was the highest rated episode of season six. Okay. Well, yeah, like watching the episode, I was surprised at how little he was in it. Like it seemed, I mean, I'm watching this with the benefit of hindsight in 2018, The Rock, while he may not be the greatest actor of all time, is a movie star. Like, he successfully made the tradition into Like, he successfully made the transition into acting. And so to see this, like, tiny nothing role for him, like, it makes... It, it seems almost like it would make more sense if he played the Herosian, for example, just in terms of who he is. But, yeah, again, going at this point, he's a wrestler who is just... I, I assume this is him dipping his toe into the water of real acting. Well, I mean, I, I don't even know about that because it seems to me that he's playing the rock in this episode. Uh, yeah, which, you know. But I mean, like just like, commit, you know, act, do, like doing something that itself is acting. So yeah, but doing something that's not wrestling per se. I mean, acting on a fictional television show versus wrestling, which of obviously is fictional. They, they, but you know what I mean. Like this is not this is going outside the comfort zone in that way. He's fine in it. You, I guess you can kind of tell why he ended up kind of sticking with that career path. Um, I know he was super popular at the time. So uh, I was very – again, I was very surprised at how little he, he was in it given how kind of built up, oh, there's an episode with The Rock in it was. Well, that may have been intentional. That may have not been yeah. intentional. But I, I don't know. I mean, aside from The Rock, which I, I think we've said about all we yeah. can say about The Rock's appearance in Star Trek Voyager – and Sinkasi is 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 fine, I guess. Yeah. I I don't, you know, I get to this point a lot, but I'm like, yeah, it's fine. This is the point of season six that I think we we were worried about. Where, I mean, you said there will be a lot of long stretches where just nothing that great is happening, and I feel that way about this. Yes, we learned some stuff about Seven of Nine, and we get another affirmation of her her humanity and where she is, but. We've had that in better ways, and frankly, the next episode is so much more of a deep look into that than this episode is to make this one a little redundant. Again, and I think that's part of the other reason I'm so surprised at The Rock not being in it, because, okay, well, if it's going to be a gimmick episode where we have a wrestler, we'll at least have a lot of the wrestler, and this is just a showcase to show him off, and fine. Like, but yeah, and, what else is there to the episode? enough, I mean— I I rely a lot on Memory Alpha for, for sort of production notes and, and background information on the episodes. And uh, what I am finding about the, the last few episodes of Star Trek Voyager is that uh, Memory Alpha has almost no notes on this. Mm. And so I don't know if that's an indication that they're hard to get. I don't know if it's an indication of lack of interest on the part of the people that make Memory Alpha. I'm not really sure. I mean, we can only speculate, but but I would say that, and we promised we were done talking about The Rock, and I guess we're not done talking about The Rock, <laughs> because maybe that's the most interesting thing about Tsunkatsi. But uh, I, I don't 
know if they deliberately did this or not. I kind of have a feeling that they probably did. Like, as I've talked about in the past, Rick Berman was fighting a lot of battles on the network front, and he was trying to protect the integrity of the Star Trek franchise as much as he possibly could, right? And so I think that UPN coming and saying, we want The Rock to appear on Star Trek Mm. Voyager it was probably done in such a way that they were limiting it as much as possible so as not to overshadow their show and not to make it about the rock because you know you say oh this is him dipping his toe into the water of acting i mean i don't know he's basically playing the rock and he does his little eyebrow thing and it's just you know I, i mean i don't know if you really like put this uh, a wrestling match against a wrestling match from the WWE of that time period if his performance would really be all that different. I don't no, know. No. I'm not a wrestling person. So so to me, it just feels like whoever wrote this episode was like, all right, we got to get The Rock in here, but I don't want to make this episode about The Rock, so let's just put him in there for two minutes. That will satisfy the network suits, and then we can tell you know, a semi-interesting story about one of our own characters, Seven of Nine. Yeah, what's the least rock that we could legally put in and still say that it exists in here? I mean, I'm yeah. I'm contrasting this episode, for example, against the Jason Alexander episode where every single time we he appeared on screen, we thought that's Jason Alexander in makeup. And I kind of feel like this episode would have worked if every time I'm – if he's a bigger presence and I'm saying, oh, that's the rock because – Again, as you say, he's pretty much playing his wrestling character in this. So I don't know. I think I would have liked this better, this episode better if it had recognized that it needed to be a gimmick episode and just kind of ran with that. Yeah, because it does have a weird tension where it's a gimmick episode and you're like, holy fuck, The Rock is in this. Yeah. Playing The Rock. And then you get this very sort of like sober and serious, you know, typical Star Trek style episode you know, character study seven of nine. And I guess it works. I mean, I think that, that the beginning parts of the episode, especially feel a little incongruous with everything that comes after it, because it kind of feels like an episode of Babylon five at the beginning or something. I I don't, you know and I mean? They, they do, they do a good as job as they can with sort of constructing this set and, and those kind of things, but, but visually it's not very interesting. And I think that, all of the parts of the episode that are not centered on Seven of Nine, they just kind of feel like they're on autopilot. And even the Seven of Nine stuff, as you said earlier, is it's not that interesting. I mean, it's just another evolution on her road to humanity. And I don't think this episode has any favors done for it by being paired with Collective, which yeah. is a much better episode and also has a very interesting place to put Seven of Nine in. In a lot of ways, Collective is her graduation episode. And yeah. so this almost feels a little redundant. Yeah, I, I, I think that's perfectly it. This is, again, we've had this theme that um, the other week with um, where everybody's having the visions of the battle that they were in. Um, Memorial. Yes, Memorial. Um the conversation that she's having with uh, Neelix where she's saying, I feel guilt all the time and that's how I use it to and but I'm using the guilt so that I know what the right thing to do is. I mean, this is a nice flip on that because she is 
she is in a position where she has to kill somebody to survive, and she is past the point of wanting to kill just for that reason. Her guilt and her morality have led her to realize that this is wrong, coupled with the fact that she does need to survive. She is – she does want to survive. Everybody wants her to survive, and she is trying to figure out what that third option is. I mean these two episodes – are about taking that third option, which is something that Star Trek has always done, certainly, but Voyager has been trying to get away from. Uh, Voyager has been going with, all right, there's two situations, and maybe Janeway's made the wrong one on this, uh, wrong call on this one. And I think it's interesting that Voyager's kind of going back to that and saying, no, you don't need to choose between two evils. You need to figure out what the actual right thing to do is. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you think the actual right thing to do in this episode is that? I mean, because I'm wondering what you make of the two. What what are the two choices that you see in this episode that? I mean, is it seven of nine fighting or not fighting, killing the guy or not killing the guy? Basically, yeah, and neither is an option that she wants to take. And yes, maybe it is a bit of a deus ex machina that her crew eventually saves her. But at the same time, her plan basically boils down to stall until until they figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess really that may be why the episode feels a little unsatisfying in retrospect, because you are essentially just watching Seven of Nine stall. And I mean, I like the scenes with the Herojin quite a bit. I mean, I like seeing a little bit of a different side of the Herojin, seeing a little bit of an older Herojin, someone who is not um, a cardboard cutout, essentially. One thing that Voyager has struggled with, as we have talked about, is giving its its alien species creations mm. a little bit more depth and, and understanding. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit of a cheat, of course, because J.G. Hertzler is playing the Herogen and he played Martok. And so... Okay. This is a... Yeah, you... I mean, if you want to talk about gimmick casting, there's him and there's also uh, Wei Yun in this. So it's... Uh... Yeah, Jeffrey Combs <laughs> is in this. Yeah. Well, and part of that, of course, is that I believe that this was this was in 2000, and so Deep Space Nine had, had just ended. Yeah. And so I think they had a little bit of, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like a little bit of a, a bonus to them, I think. Just like, hey, I yeah. know Deep Space Nine's over. Let's put you in an episode of Voyager now that you're not. Um, now that you're not having your time taken up with Deep Space Nine, and we'll yeah. just give you a little bit of an extra paycheck or something. Well, it reminds it's me nice how to see them, right? I mean, JJ Hertzler plays a Herogen very interestingly, and I think that 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 is what is so. Um, it's a little bit of a missed opportunity in some respects because this is an episode that, in a lot of ways, shows you how Voyager has fallen down. Like, for example, what we talk about all the time, where the show never really took the time to establish a bench of secondary characters. Yeah. And here you have two actors who portrayed... I mean, you could even argue that Wayun and Martok were tertiary characters in Deep Space Nine, honestly. Yeah. And and they, they're more memorable than, I think, Tom Paris or Harry Kim. And so... You get them in this episode. You get J.G. Hertzler playing this this Herogen, and you get Jeffrey Combe playing uh, this you know fight promoter, and it just feels very odd because you're like, wait, I know these guys. They they they're able to construct characters in very brief moments in a way that I don't think a lot of guest actors on this show really can. Yeah, I mean. I'm almost imagining a version of the episode that doesn't have the rock where she faces off with the Herosian the first time 
and he's developed through the entire episode, again, becoming a much stronger character, giving him more material to work with. I mean, the two of them are really what you're watching in this episode. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that is a little bit of a failing. You're right. Like, the, the Herogen doesn't get as much of a character as we perhaps would like him to. And that, I think, is kind of par for the course a lot of times on Voyager in general where the the character beats feel a little perfunctory they don't really delve into the the surface of a character very much you know it, it's interesting right because um I was uh right before I went to bed last night I, I sort of um just turned on uh the next generation as I sometimes do and I randomly picked the high ground to watch, which is this third season episode that you probably don't I even don't. remember where Dr. Crusher gets kidnapped by some terrorists. And it's this whole like weird Northern Ireland terrorism analog that, that doesn't really work very well. But the guest actor in the show does a much better job of constructing a character in the limited screen time he has yeah. than I think a lot of guest stars on this show really do. And I think it really comes down to the writing on Star Trek Voyager more than anything else, where they're more interested in making the show uh, dynamic and fast-paced and action-packed more than anything else, and they waste a lot of time on scenes that, that frankly, aren't very interesting. I mean, I, I don't watch Star Trek Voyager for perfunctorily choreographed fight yes. sequences. I mean, that's what what, what was the... Uh the racist season one next generation episode uh code of honor yeah like we didn't like it in code of honor we aren't interested in it now if you can't get up to uh the uh if you can't get to the level of kirk and spock fighting don't bother and most of the fights in this uh series don't do that yeah because i mean like I don't know. Seven of Nine is fine. Yeah. The Herogen is fine. J.G. Hertzler and and uh, uh, Seven of Nine's actress is, is escaping me. Jerry Jerry Taylor. Jerry Taylor. Jerry Ryan. <laughs> Jerry Jerry Ryan playing Seven of Nine would have been much more interesting. Maybe. Um, you know they do a fine job. I mean they 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 know what they're doing, but it's just like I don't know. I don't I don't. I guess I wonder about the it's version that of, dynamic. The version of the episode that featured the Rock more prominently that leaned into it and maybe you even get a you know directing this you get somebody who's working for you know who's normally directing wrestling and you do it as a very over the top wrestling episode again i think that would be a lot more fun than the episode that we got uh 7 of 9 suddenly in the middle of monday night wrestling like would be hilarious that would be an episode to watch and that seems to be where the episode is going, at least in the early stages. You know, yeah. you, you have this opening scene, you have Chakotay and Balan in the audience, and everyone is sort of cheering them on and bloodthirsty, and it's exciting, and uh, and it just doesn't go anywhere, you know? And then you, then you sort of, like, make this hard turn, and it's about Seven of Nine, you know, becoming, um, a, you know, a, a surrogate daughter to this Herosian or something, and... I don't know. And, and it's just, you know, it's it's funny because I think so many times Star Trek Voyager just puts too much crap in an episode mm. because, and, and this may, f- I mean, this might sound churlish or, or I, I, ungenerous, but a lot of the times I just don't think that the writers of this show are up to the task of not 
throwing a bunch of elements mm. into an episode and plotting it all to hell because they're not really up to the task of writing deep, uh, you know, deep yeah. scenes. No, no, no. I mean, that's like a sign of an amateur writer in a way is, you know, I can't think of what to do, so I'm going to add another character and that'll fill out a couple of pages. And yeah, uh, 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 Because what does it really add to this episode that it's holographic and yeah. that it's being broadcast all over the place? Do you know what I mean? What does it add to the episode that Tuvok is there with Seven of Nine? He doesn't even really do anything. It's just... It's these. It's it's a weird mixture of roads that just kind of dead end and don't go anywhere, and and too many of them. You know, it's like you're trying to get out of a neighborhood that you don't know that that you've never been in before, and you keep making all of these turns, and you keep hitting these dead ends and having to turn around, and then at the very end of it, you finally find the exit to the main road, and you're like, finally, I'm out of here. But but what did you get out of that experience? Yeah. Um. I mean, I think it was even funny that at the very very end of the episode when they show the final shot of the ship and then the credits start like it lingers on that for an extra couple seconds than it normally does like they just needed to pad every moment that they could out of that episode yeah i i think that's right and and i think that's why you get those scenes on voyager which are like they're all just sitting bullshitting about Chakotay liking boxing. And yeah, I mean, you know, props to Star Trek Voyager for remembering that they established that character beat out of whole cloth a, a whole season ago. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's, tr- I feel like it's trying and desperately failing to be a hangout episode. Like I like when the characters are just sitting in the mess hall, teasing each other, but not in this episode. It just feels very flat. Yeah, yeah, it does feel flat. I mean, I think that's the problem with it, right? Is that they can't make Hangout episodes that work that well because we don't know who these characters are, really. Yeah, yeah. And I and we don't always buy that they hang out together, I guess. That's the other thing. I mean, certainly some characters, yeah. but... I mean, just compare and contrast like the Tom Paris and Harry Kim friendship to the Bashir and O'Brien friendship. I mean, there's yeah. just no comparison. There's no comparison. Yeah, we, 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 they're just kind of there and they hang out as to, I mean, I like that the Bashir and O'Brien friendship, for example, had a lot of growing pains to it. It took them forever to admit that they liked each other and wanted to spend time together. And they made a big deal about the fact that when they finally admitted it, Maybe they were spending too much time together. And what does that mean for... And it's going into all of those minutiae. And we understand, because we understand Bashir and O'Brien very well, um, we get why they are clicking together, why they do... Why O'Brien does decide that sometimes he'd rather hang out with Bashir than his own wife. Yeah, and why do Tom Paris and Harry Kim hang out? I don't know. I mean, they're both there and they're both main characters on the show and that's essentially why they're friends well i mean we could keep beating sankatsi into the ground but but i think perhaps we'll, we'll move on to collective because i think we're both much more uh, interested and excited to, to talk about yeah. that, that episode because it actually has something to talk about uh but before we do that just want to take an opportunity to remind all of you that this episode and this podcast are supported by you the listener If you like what we do and would like to give us a little bit of money each and every month, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. So Collective is an interesting episode for for a couple of reasons. Um, 
I'm not really sure why they decided to, to do this at this point in the show's run, but uh, at least one of these Borg children becomes a recurring character. Okay, finally. Yeah, finally, right? I mean, they, they had to create <laughs> one out of whole cloth. I mean, they don't we don't really know who anybody is on the ship except for the main characters, but they had to add these children. But hey, whatever. Uh, I, I like this episode a lot, mostly because... As I said earlier, it is Seven of Nine's graduation episode. That Oh, yeah. She has been on the show for almost three years now. She has learned a lot of lessons. Uh, she and Janeway are, are not uh, fighting as much as they used to. She is really sort of delving into what it is to be human and all of her social lessons with the doctor, et cetera, et cetera. And now she is – now this is her getting an opportunity to give back to – people that are in the same place that she was three years ago yeah this is she has gone through a very long cycle as to being fully borg to her clashes with janeway to you know we've talked about oh these episodes is seven of nine in adolescence and rebelling against her mother this is seven of nine recognizing that she has a lot, you know. She and her mother have a lot more in common and make decisions based from the same part. This is her recognizing that she respects her mother, and now this is her becoming a mother herself in a way. A mother? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I don't. Maybe that's a little reductive of a term. Um, again, and and again, I'm kind of going off of the fact that Seven of Nine and Janeway did explicitly have a lot of resonances of mother-daughter relationship. Um, She's been the cool aunt to Naomi for a while, so I guess this is a bit more of a closer-to-home connection for her, maybe, in a way. I mean, I would say, uh, you know, less, less a mother relationship the mother child relationship and and more of a more of a sister relationship or a cousin relationship and that's fair i mean because some of the i mean obviously some of these uh Borg children are are much younger than her uh some of them are not i mean Echeb doesn't seem to be that much younger than her maybe he's 10 years younger than her so just by dint of the fact of their ages she can't be Echeb's mother no. but and the fact that I know his name and none of the other Borg children probably says who becomes the recurring character. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, like, Janeway, I don't think... Is Janeway at the age to have been Seven of Nine's natural mother? Well, I guess um, she, Seven of Nine's been aged out, so uh, she's biologically, like, 15 at this point. So I guess that could be, even though she's about 30 in, uh, you know, maturation terms. I think it's best just not to think about how yeah. that works or, or why they do it or anything like that <laughs> because the episode does some hand wavy stuff about how they're in maturation chambers and they're not quite baked yet or whatever and they kind of look half-assed like Borg but I just I don't really want to get into that I mean we do have a return I mean going back to a deep cut we do have a, a Borg baby you know in a drawer again yeah going back all the way to uh, Q who I believe which is a nice little callback and what happens to that baby exactly because they don't seem to really do anything with it at the end of the episode <laughs> but oh yeah I mean I'm gonna assume that they keep the baby on the ship and that's given to somebody to raise but I hope so um <laughs> But I, I, you know, I think I had said this before, but Star Trek Voyager has a lot less Borg in it than I remember. And yeah. it's, 
I mean, you know, Dark Frontier from last season, we had Scorpion two-parter in the third and fourth season. We've had a couple of other minor Borg episodes here and there. But the show has done a pretty good job of of keeping the Borg feeling like a threat. I mean, I don't I'm not as concerned about the Borg cube appearing at the beginning of this episode as I was about the Borg cube appearing in Best of Both Worlds for instance because I know that they're going to get out of this situation again because they have to. But I think that the show does a good job of justifying why they're able to get out of these situations. They always give a particular reason for why the Borg cube is not up to full strength and Yeah. You know, you could say all right, it's a little it's a little convenient that they keep encountering these Borg ships that are damaged in some way, shape, or form. But we're talking about a narrative television show, so there's always going to be a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, of manipulation yeah. there. And and I think the um, what I like about it is they're finding different things to do with the Borg. I mean, the Borg have been used a bit more sparingly, but they're. I mean, best of both worlds was simply the Borg are there and they have so much more firepower and they're so much more overwhelming. And how are we going to deal with this? And frankly, before I going into Voyager, I thought that was what all the Borg episodes were going to be. But the stakes are very different. I mean, in this episode in particular, they quickly dispense with the fact that uh, this cube is no threat. Yes, they're in peril, but not mortal peril. They figure out the pathogen quickly enough. Um, basically, the episode's challenge is we actually now do have superior firepower to the Borg. How do we defeat them, though, without utter, utterly destroying them? How do we convince them to do the right thing? How do we get them on our side? That's really what the challenge in this episode is because they recognize that um, – I mean, in a way, making them children even heightens that point. The Borg are at the Federation's mercy for the most part in this episode. Yeah, and and I think that – I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I also think the pathogen is the, the least successful and least interesting part of Collective. And I, I wish that they had left yeah. that entirely because – it, you know, if this was a TNG episode, it would have been about the pathogen, right? I mean, but that, that was kind of the point of, of Iborg in a sense, where they, they had this, this recursive algorithm thing that would cause yeah. them to, uh, uh, you know, uh, become individuals or whatever. And, and is it right and justified to destroy the Borg? And it just feels like a retread of that in a way. And, and you can really see that, that that would be a very, very big deal if they had a pathogen that could destroy the Borg. Like, that should be what the entire episode is about. And so they're not able to really give that the weight that it deserves. Janeway, of course, makes another split-second decision to do something that may or may not be a horrible idea. And that's her, so whatever. But at the end of the day, she doesn't do anything with it, and it's just kind of forgotten. And I just kind of wish the episode had left it out because that's not the point of the episode and that's not the strongest parts of the episode. And that's not even really what the episode is about. Well, really, the pathogen and the baby are connected in their way, right? It's implied that seeing the baby kind of really hits home for Janeway, what, who she would be infecting with this pathogen and which is why she decides, no, we, we aren't going to use this. We have it in our back pocket if we need it, but we don't need it. We need to figure out the right way of going about this. I mean, they almost seem like holdovers from an earlier version of the script. Again, which is what a lot of the 
extraneous elements in Voyager in general feel like. Like something that should have been cut, but again, you've talked to me a bit about the production behind it. I don't get the sense that they were willing to spend too much time on paring it down and writing tight, excellent episodes all the time. Yeah, I I think that's right because there are a lot of ways that they could have raise the stakes in the episode because that's essentially what the pathogen is right i mean we haven't talked about stakes in a while we used to talk about stakes a lot more in the early days of the podcast back in 1979 but um it, it is the case that that's the way in which this episode has chosen to raise the stakes and is it successful is it is it not successful i i would lean to not successful only because it doesn't give a lot of the weight to the decision that Janeway is making. And it feels manipulative in a way that I don't appreciate, you know, like making them children is one thing. I think that each is supposed to be a teenager. The other ones are supposed to be like 12, 13. There's, there's a couple of uh, littler kids that are twins, bizarrely enough that have no lines, (laughs) which is kind of just like what is happening. And then uh, there's the baby. And, it just it just feels manipulative, yeah. you know, like like because we don't okay. ever believe that Janeway is actually mm. going to kill these children, right? I mean, and and especially putting a baby in it, you're just like, come on, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know. I mean, and we've said this before, like in Tonkatsu, we know no seven of nine is not going to get killed in the arena. We know that that's going to happen, but. We can buy that she's in peril through this and that how is she going to get out of this one and, you know, that's fine. It doesn't bother me that characters might not get killed because I'm interested in seeing how do they figure it out. But the thought that she's going to use a biological weapon against children, even if they are Borg, is so ludicrous that, I mean, if she had done it, nobody would have watched the show again. Especially considering that she, especially considering the fallout after using the basic same thing on Species 8472, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And, and you know, I, I think it's probably time to move on from this. But but I think the last thing I'll say about the pathogen is that it, I don't know, it just it just feels like the show is trying to have something in its back pocket, but it doesn't quite know what to do with it, if you know what I mean. and Yeah, like it's trying to retcon and save Janeway a bit. Like when she has this line at the end, like, there's always another option. We've just got to find it. We're not using the pathogen. It's like, all right, finally, she's learned the lesson she's been trying to learn for years, which is that you don't just do the knee jerk. You find the third option. But, you know... On one hand, it's too little, too late. On the other hand, like, you don't need to be make that big of a deal about it. She's finally just figured out, like, what everybody else is doing. Well, moving aside from that, I, I, I want to talk more about about the children and specifically Icheb and the, the other one, which is the first and the second, I believe they're called, which are very similar to Jem Hadar names, but we'll leave that aside. Um, that... I like the drama of that a lot, and I think that it's something that the episode plays around with very nicely, where Seven of Nine obviously has a lot of 
opinions about what is happening to these to these poor children and she obviously feels sympathetic to them and she obviously can can sort of place herself in their situation because she went yeah. through a very similar thing not exactly the same of course because she had been an actual drone for a while and they were never really drones they were in their maturation chambers and they broke down um but but in a sense that makes it a, even an easier point of view for her to to put herself in because she knows how disoriented she was, and so they must be even more disoriented. Yeah. But 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 also their individuality is closer to the surface as well. And yeah, so, it, she might have a different opinion of things if she came upon a group of Borg children that had Borg adults around them who were raising them in the ways of the Borg and had their backs and all of that. Like that, that may complicate her decision more, but she sees a group of children only a couple years into assimilation who are utterly alone and expected to deactivate themselves. I think the choice is a lot easier while someone needs to take care of these people. Right, because you know what it comes down to, of course, is that Echeb is the one who, who ultimately uh, uh, saves the day, quote-unquote, and, and is able to essentially convince the other one that, that this is not the right thing to do. And, you know, I mean, he dies, right? I... I <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly, but uh, he does die, right? The, 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 yeah. the, 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 the lead, their leader, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When um, uh, one of the exploding uh, consoles does him in, you know. Right, because Echab, uh, the, the, the girl, the two twins all go over to Voyager, but uh, that's it. Well, that's the right call, though, I think, that, that – in a sense, what is happening is that the first is sort of taking the Janeway position and each episode sort of taking the seven of nine position in an interesting yeah, way. But first, it feels weird that they kill off a an impulsive teenager who is acting out of fear and anger and just what the fuckness. I found that a little cruel. Like I thought that he was going to they were going to figure out a way of saving him and then, you know, give him some hot soup and be like, it's OK, you're 16. Like we're all like this. Yeah, but I, I kind of admire it in the same way. I mean, yeah. I think that Voyager very often doesn't have any stakes, and, and I think that's a nice way to make the show have some stakes and make this episode have some stakes. And, I mean, yes, it would have been okay if they had figured out a way to save him, but I think that it also works really nicely that they didn't. You know, I think it says more about the Borg than it does about the Voyager crew, if you know what I mean. No, it's true, and... The fact that, interestingly enough, this is uh, this is something that they did in the early days of Seven of Nine that they're returning to, which is that they are finding certain good things within the Borg, that certain Borg values. I mean, when Seven of Nine says at one point, like, listen, unity, working towards this common purpose, the bonds that we have for each other, those are very good things, and I have those on Voyager. We can still... You know, again, those are positive things from the Borg that the Borg are doing, and I think what it's what's the episode goes in a direction where the first is actually not acting towards unity purpose and not acting towards the good of the group. He is taking control and making his decisions and doing what he thinks is right which turn out to be all of the wrong decisions. In other words, if he had been a bit more Borg, uh, interestingly enough, maybe he would have gotten through it. 
Yeah, I think so. But I also think that, I mean, we can't discount the the, the fact that the Borg did receive their message and, and essentially just left yeah. them to, to rot and die on their own. And I think in a certain sense, Icheb is doing a much better job of knowing the situation and, and, and understanding that, that really, like, they can't act like Borg, right? I mean, he is having doubts yeah. and Seven of Nine is... is talking to him on an individual basis and, and really sort of trying to get at the heart of who he is and what he wants and trying to slowly convince him that he can be an individual if he wants to be. And the other one is just the uh, antagonist of the episode that is, that is taking the Borg, uh, the Borg perspective. Right. And I don't know. The Borg perspective doesn't really work in this episode though. And I think that's kind of the point is that the Borg don't, work that they're cruel they're callous they are manipulative and they don't i mean you can't really hold any one borg up as a a bad person because they're not really people but i don't i don't think the episode is trying to say that the first borg is necessarily a bad person do you know what i mean no no. Again, the, the, the episode makes it very clear that they're young and making poor decisions and they've had half Borg, half human socialization and they don't know what they're doing and he should not be in charge because he's a kid. But I mean, right. I think that's the – this episode I think draws that distinction. Again, both the Federation and the Borg may be viewing uh, – it as a good for a group working together towards a common goal and forming a unit themselves and having that team solidarity. And uh, But the Federation adds the dignity of the individual to that and so doesn't view that any members are uh, disposable in a way. The Borg, however, because it has no concept of individuality, is fine with stripping off the weaker and damaged members. Um, whereas the Federation would say, well, you may be quote-unquote damaged, but you still have other talents and you are still useful to our society, and frankly, you still are a person who deserves to live their best life. Well, and that's the thing too, right, is that, that I mean, you, you could read that very cynically and say that Janeway's decision is born out of a, a very real need to replace you know, Starfleet crew members that have been killed in the six years that they've been in the Delta Quadrant. And that is certainly part of it because I think that's true. But at the same time, it is coming from a very Federation place. You're right that they just think it's the right thing to do to take these children in and to, I mean, essentially give Seven of Nine a project. You know, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if they would have done this if Seven of... I mean, it's a little bit reductive, of course, because this episode wouldn't exist if Seven of Nine had never been on the show. If Cass had still been on the show, this episode wouldn't exist. This was a tailor-made episode for Seven of Nine. But I also think, you know, if you look at it in terms of the, the you know, in-universe kind of explanation, I don't know that they would have taken these children in if Seven of Nine had not been on the ship because, you know, Janeway was very... She was very open and wanted Seven of Nine on the ship. And, and I think, you know, if you recall, Chakotay was very much against it. And, and Janeway was very much like, I will use, this will be my project. I will take responsibility for this, et cetera, et cetera. And Janeway has done her job. And I think that she is vindicated because now she puts Seven of Nine in the same position that Janeway was in, herself was in, at the beginning of the fourth season with Seven of Nine. And now Seven of Nine, the stakes are even higher because there's four yeah. Borg children on the ship and not just one. 
well, five if you count the baby. Um, yeah, and I think that um, we need to replace crew members, and these are children who deserve our chance. Are they aren't mutually incompatible goals either? And I think this episode is a lot about recognizing that maybe you can have it both ways, or maybe you need to, or maybe you have. There is a way that um, everybody's goals can be satisfied. Uh, in, a, in the best way, that the Borg aren't, isn't really the direction to go for that in the same sense that the Federation is. Yeah, for sure. I think that's true. And and I think that we'll just have to see where it goes, of course. But, you know, as I said before, um, at least Icha becomes a recurring character on the show. So, so it does go somewhere. Well, I think we'll call it an episode. But before we do, I do have one other thing to say. Um, this is something I've thought for a while, but I really wish that uh, these uh, Borg alcoves were real because that would mean the end uh, of insomnia. Like you just essentially get in there and you're immediately put to sleep. I mean, I do that in my bed. <sighs> you know, I watched a thing on like ASMR video, so maybe you should try like those to go to sleep. It's a nice relaxing thing. And I'm just going to stroke this microphone. <laughs> Is that helping you? Do you get the tingles? We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Track about show is our username on all of those. And is the episode over? All right. Well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on Sunkatsi or Collective, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trackaboutshow. We have uh, many, many, many episodes that we recorded just for $5 a month patrons. So if you love hearing Richard and I discuss things, there's like, I don't know, 30 or something, 32, 33 at this point. So you have a lot more that you've never heard before. So you should go to patreon.com slash truck about show and give now Facebook, Twitter, Instagram truck about show is our username, but you should probably delete your social media accounts because it's destroying the world. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Truck About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. All right. Next week, we're going to be talking about Spirit Folk and Ashes to Ashes.